this is it. This is the amateur hour where Danny Wexelman, my co-host and senior vice president and producer of this show, nailed it. This is an incredible show with two great conversations, some great scouting insight that's really pertinent. But Danny, well done. I, I want to start with Red Louder. Um, the loud hair, the loud arm, the great story of being COVID shut down in a sense because it hit him where he was, you know, ranked very, very low, like 491, 197th right-handed pitcher. And that's not the perfect game scout's fault that did the ranking. That's COVID's fault. So many players lost their way. A lot of them quit or got frustrated. And then there's Rhett Louder. And here he is at Wake Forest, one of the top pitchers in the country, going to be drafted very high. I love this, the man who makes the most of his college experience and grows up post-COVID to become a dude. If you search his name on Twitter, everything that pops up is about his secondary pitches, his breaking balls, his changeup specifically. And it all of the videos, the hitters just look silly. They just look silly because of what Rhett does. Not because of the hitter, but because Rhett is like the way that he's able to manipulate those pitches. And it's interesting because if you go back to high school, he was in the National Art Honor Society. Maybe I stretched a little bit. He likes art, he's creative, he's painting on the plate. We like to stretch sometimes, but but there's a correlation and he shares a little bit about that and, and where he comes from, a little town in North Carolina, Albemarle, and and how that's shaped him and how that's made him who he is. And and all you'll see on the mound is is him being masterful and the work that he's put in. But if you go all the way back, back to home, back to the farm, back to the small town, that really helps tell you, I think, the story of who Rhett Louder is. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And roots tie into Charles McAdoo as well, whether it's his brother who played college baseball, who is now in the United States Marine Corps, whether it's athletic family ties, uncles who played or cousins who played uh, in the NBA, won championships. But for me, this is about Charles, uh, a player who, again, had the older brother and admitted, I didn't ask him that many questions. I had it all figured out. I've raised four. I know what that looks like. Not asking questions, having it all figured out. You've worked with one of them quite a bit. I understand what that's like. Don't pass this along to her, by the way. Um, but now Charles has experienced it, much like she has. He's experienced it, and he understands that he didn't know it all. But now he's learning. And as he learns, he learns himself. And much like Rhett Lauder, this is a guy who in July is going to have his name called. And I think the best part for Charles McAdoo, San Jose State, who's going to have his name called, is his reaction to reflecting upon getting to this point. I think that was the best part of the conversation. Because albeit he's put in so much work, now he's kind of backstudied all these people he can lean on. He's back leaned on those people and, and understood who he is. And when he gets to the fact where it could be the ultimate look-at-me moment, the draft, and the chance to, to go out in your job, because he's put in the work, they haven't. All he talked about was them. And I, and I thought it was such a cool conversation. I'm excited to see where San Jose, star, San Jose State star Charles McAdoo goes. I really am. Don't fast forward. Like, Darren sold it. it it's an amazing, amazing quote. What Charles says about the draft and being a prospect is probably one of the best we've heard, the most transparent answers we maybe have ever had in the entirety of this podcast. I, I, might, I might be a little hyperbole here, but don't fast forward. Stay, stay on the course. And, but when you get to Charles, you're going to learn about his family and his smile when he starts talking about his mom, his dad, his brother, his grandma. I mean, I, I get a little teary-eyed. The way that he speaks about them and what they mean to him and his story and how he's writing his own because he does have family who've, who've found success at the pro level, but this is all about Charles. And, and I, I was really excited that, that we had a chance to talk to him. I didn't know much about him, but I, I think he might be one of the, the best that we've had on the show. Yeah, really excited about it and uh, really excited about the rest of the show. Perfect game, college baseball. Hunter Pence is my co-host. Great part of a conversation with Scott Barry. At Southern Miss, they're always counted on, always counted on to be hosting and playing deep into the postseason. Who cares if they're a mid-major? Scott doesn't care, and he's kind of a no-excuses guy, too. He's fun. Jeremy Brown went to a large event. You went to this large event in Houston. Kind of the top 13, 14 new players in the country gathered there. 
And what that means is recruiting. That's college recruiting. That's not pro scouting yet, but that's college recruiting. Like it or not, that's how it works. If you're elite at that age, you may have already committed or you may be committing very, very soon. So Jeremy Brown pitches in. And then I had a chance to be with Tyler Russo at the Perfect Game High School Showdown. There were some silly things going on there, too. There was a pitcher throwing 98, a PG All-American. You'll want to listen to hear about him. There was incredible speed. There was a defender for a young man who was outside of that PG All-American selection, who in hindsight probably should have been. So some great stuff from our scouts. This is a heck of a show. Let's get it going. All right, Rhett Louder. I would love to start by you taking us home, back to your hometown, Albemarle, North Carolina. And I'm hoping you can kind of show us around, paint us a picture of what it was like growing up there and how that's shaped you. It's a really small town. I know it's not really near anything. You're kind of like in the middle of Winston-Salem where I'm at now, Charlotte and Raleigh. I'm kind of like in the middle of just of nowhere. And uh, I live on a farm, actually, so it's like a little farm town. Uh, yeah, I have a cotton field in my, my front yard, my grandpa's farm. Um, so that's kind of like what you're like driving through the town. You see a lot of just fields and, and, and corn and, and cotton. But... Um, yeah, I went to a small high school. I graduated with like barely any kids, a little 1A high school, public high school in North Carolina. So um, I think that was uh, – so I played with the same guys growing up uh, from middle – or even elementary school until I graduated, and that's kind of made me – that's where I fell in love with baseball and, and just like playing with those guys. It, it made me appreciate what I had back then and what I appreciate now like with, with this team. Can we say that your country's strong? I guess so. Yeah, some people you wouldn't. A lot of people can't tell or can't guess that I'm from a farm by just like watching me play and looking at me. But yeah, I guess so. If you had to name maybe one or two people who have helped shape you and have been maybe some of your day ones from home or just growing up, who would that be? Yeah, I mean, I would. My go-to would have to be my two older brothers. I'm the youngest, so um, when you have two older brothers, you kind of just want to do everything that they do, but be better at it. So we all played baseball, and they, they played it. So that's probably the main reason I, I picked it up. But I stuck with it, and I, I wanted to be better than those guys. And they didn't. They were six years older than me and three years older than me, so it wasn't easy. I was, I was a little bit smaller than them throughout my whole life. But I, I've leaned on those guys for a while, and I give a lot of credit to them. What are their names? Uh, Luke and Will. Luke's the oldest, and Will is uh, middle three years old. And have their baseball careers, Luke and Will, come to an end? Yeah, they, they both, they played in high school, but um, they actually went the art art route. I, uh, I kind of, my art skills came from them too. I paint and draw a little bit, but my oldest brother went to School of the Arts in Winston-Salem for directing. Um, and then my uh, middle brother is in grad school for creative writing. So it's kind of like an artistic family, but I went the baseball baseball route. That's beautiful. Do they still live through you, connect with you, watch you play? You're the reason, they're the reason that you play. Do they still get jacked up when you perform? Oh, yeah, all the time. They text me after every game, before the game, um, always posting stuff on social media, everything. They're, they're following along. They come to the games when they can. It's a little bit, it's a little bit hard to get, get here from Texas, but um, they, they keep up for sure. So, so I wanted to follow up on one more thing, and then I certainly have a list of questions I'd like to ask, just in listening to your answers. Tell me everything you can tell me about Grandfather's Farm. Tell me about Grandfather um, and, and that lineage that you have. There's got to be some history there. Anytime that you call home a farm that was a family earning plot years and generations ago, I, I'd love to know more about your grandfather and the farm. Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been within the family for a while. My dad, it's like... My dad has lived on the same road his whole life. My grandparents live two doors down, or like two houses down. Um, we live right beside the farm. So he hasn't moved off Fink Road since he was, uh, Fink since he was born, really. So um, that's kind of what it's like. And I, I tried not to do too much work over there. I spent a lot of time on the farm, but I tried not to do too much work over there. It's, there's a lot of chicken houses, and it doesn't smell great, and it's a lot of hard work. But, you know, the less time working over there more time playing is kind of what I wanted to do. No, I think the male offspring sent a very strong message. We love you. We thank you, Family Farm, for providing for us. We're going to play baseball and be creative. Good luck yeah. to you. We love you. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to go do those things. Um, one quick follow-up, you know, and, and two is Ryan Cusick, because Ryan was a favorite of ours, and he came mm -hmm. on multiple shows with us, and 
Um, gosh, I can remember interviewing him several times. And just the way he went about his business that final year, he was a wonderful conversation. Well, that was your first year. Although, yep. when I look at your numbers, you pitched a lot, man. You took a, you took a weekend responsibility. Ryan was Friday. You were taking that weekend responsibility, too. How, how much of you is him? How much did you learn from him watching him in that draft year? How much did you learn? Oh, I learned a ton from him. Uh, I, he was a great guy just to ask questions. He he never shied away. I, I felt comfortable talking to him from like a, from a very early point. Uh, I still talk to him. I talked to him like just the other week, maybe a week or two ago. And most of like the routine I have um, day to day within starts comes a lot from him. Um, he I saw him. He not just because uh, it's just I just thought that's how it's supposed to be done. I saw him doing his own scouting reports. And now that's something I do every week, and it, it's all credit credit to him. And, you know, just the way he prepped, some of his throwing patterns, his lifting patterns, I just kind of took a little pieces of that. Um, and we've talked through a lot of things. And so I give him a ton of credit to him. He's a great conversation. Um, learn a ton from him. I mean, what incredible help to have from a guy like Ryan Cusick to try to sort out who you are, what your routine is, but, but you built off yourself too. I mean, you've created something really special on your own. As Darren said, I mean, you had a spot your freshman year that doesn't always happen. And then the next season you become the ACC pitcher of the year, the first in Wake Forest history. So I'd like to know what your priorities were from your freshman year to sophomore year to take such a giant leap. Yeah. I mean, I actually give a lot of credit to being like pitching that freshman year. Um, I got beat up a couple times, and, and it kind of made me. I had some, I had some good outings also, though. So kind of seeing those ups and downs, and I kind of knew what to handle um, going in there. I, I didn't know really what to expect. Got thrown in there after a couple injuries on the into the rotation. So, you know, I think it was good that I got beat up a little bit. Um, and I, I was just another year in college baseball. I kind of got a little bit smarter. Uh, my body obviously developed a little bit. I was throwing a little bit harder, but I don't think that was the the main reasons why I and our team our team was a big reason because we got a lot better as a whole which made it a little bit easier to pitch to pitch when you have a, a much better team behind you we were scoring a ton of runs and it, the, the, it was just a great culture that we all wanted to play for each other so it's just a collection of those things the growing pains those aren't always fun but often necessary often learn a ton from them even if they're not the most fun thing to go through but what were some of the areas that you no, did grow no. in whether it was on the field or off the field yeah um one of the big biggest takeaways for me was my freshman year i feel like the week uh, like it was a week to week change I, I know i had a really good outing at louisville one week and then it was just the next week i was putting up, giving up like five or six earned runs in like the fourth inning. It, it like, it can change so fast. So um, it was just knowing that and, and being through it, I felt, I felt some of the worst. I felt some of the best. And I was kind of just trying to um, even out that, that roller coaster, you know. Also, it was, it was kind of, I don't know, it's going to sound bad, but it was like a sense of relieving that I've been through. I mean, I gave up like three home runs back to back to back at Florida State. So I was like, okay, I've been through some of the worst possible things you can go through. And I'm not really scared of, of doing that because I've already done it and I know what it feels like. So, we've been, we've been raised as baseball fans, especially your generation, but 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 even me as a as a modern fan that that wins don't matter. Um, but there is something to pitching well enough to earn that win. Yeah, they really aren't a true indicator in the big leagues about how good a pitcher is. But how much does it mean to you that you took the baseball 16 times last year and you won 11 of those times? Again, the team win is most important. But in order to get a win, you got to pitch a big boy outing. You have to pitch deeper into the game. So how much does it mean to you, if wins don't matter, that you did win 11 games? Yeah, um, the stat is you can break it down however you want. But I know going back to my first year, um, I felt like Cusick, me and Cusick had this talk all the time. Like when I was going bad, he was like, your goal, and this is the same thing for he said for him his freshman year was, when you come out of the game to ha like leave the team in a position to win, that was your, my only goal my freshman year. And then obviously when I developed a little bit more, um, started taking the ball on Friday nights, I knew I had to up that goal a little bit. But I knew that I, I had 16 or so, I don't know how many starts I had freshman year, but I had 16 starts trying to put my team in a position to win. Now I'm obviously better and I've got that year under my belt. I, now I want to like win the game for my team. So like I think having that first year and then developing and having a better team 
you know, they made it easier. It, it, I wouldn't take credit for all those, all those wins because we put up a ton of runs. Um, but, you know, I, I've just been through it, and I kind of wanted to do a little bit more than just give us a chance. Yeah, well, they put up a ton, but you had to give up a less than a ton on those nights. You still yeah. had to... You still had to go five plus, and if they gave you 12, you had to give up 11 or fewer. It doesn't matter. I mean, you, <laughs> That's true. you still had to win. I, I want to talk to you about your second start of the season, no matter when we edit this. I want to I want to talk about the second start of the season against Binghamton because here's the old minor league pitcher, me, what stood out. You dealt, right? I mean, you, you gave up just one hit. You walked just one. You struck out eight. But I'm most impressed, and you probably have talked about this a lot, in your seven innings of work that you threw all of 87 pitches. Describe the efficiency meets the missing the bats uh, and talk to me about efficiency. Why did that happen so well in that second start? Yeah, I, I, those, are, those are my favorite starts when I can um, create action, create swing decisions. I, you're not always going to, they're not always going to get out in the first three pitches, but you want to try your best, you know, just keep filling up the zone. Um, that day, you know, I had, I had a good mix of all my stuff and I was just filling up the zone and if they were, Putting it in play, we were making some good plays behind me, and then if they were, if I was also missing a few bats, so it was a good combination of both, which which is nice. So here's what I saw, by the way, looking at some of the clips. I saw changeups to righties. I saw sliders to lefties. I see a man who appears to be unafraid to throw any of his pitches to either side of the plate. Love that. Certainly love that. Did I see that correctly? Yeah, yeah. I I try to be a little bit unpredictable up there. <laughs> Yeah, the lefties didn't like that slide. They no, didn't look like they liked they it at all. They don't like that. You untied their shoelaces with it a couple of times. <laughs> all right, so in high school, you were in the National Art Honor Society. You said that your brother's also creative as well. It runs in the family. Can we put mm -hmm. any stock, or, or is it yep. a stretch to say that what you do on the mound, you're painting, you're masterful, there's something tied to the creative genes that you have too? There has to be some correlation to to art I used to do and then um, the game. I don't know how high of a correlation, but there's got to be something. I'm, I'm not, not going to give it a lot of the credit, but there's got to be a little bit in there. What kind of art did you do? Are you, are you still drawing or painting or, or dabbling at all when you have time? I try to, but it's just so hard to find time. I've done a little bit. My coach wants me to get him a piece done right now, but I'm, I've told him I'll do it since um, the end of last season, and I've like – I'm still a little bit away, away, but I used to do a lot of like oil painting and, and drawing. I did portraits was my thing. Are, are those available? Yeah. Where, where are those? Can we see those? Yeah. They're probably, they're on Twitter. They're probably swirling on Twitter somewhere. I, I, they, I will, they came I will up say this is quite work. artistic. I mean, that's pretty well done. That's off your yeah. Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's a good picture. This is quite artistic. Yeah. That's pretty well done. I mean, I know you didn't take that one. I'm going to guess you took that one, though. Yeah. That's quite artistic. Uh, yeah, I did take that one. I'll give myself credit Those for that. Those of you listening to the podcast, it's, uh, it's Rhett Louder on Instagram, and uh, it's, it's, of course, the beautiful Netherlands when he, when he won uh, that beautiful medal this summer. Sorry, Danny, I interrupted. I did want to ask you, because I, I do think the way that you pitch and the way that you can locate your secondary pitches is fascinating to watch. It's exciting to watch. So who are the people or, or who's the person who helped you develop those pitches and then also figure out a way to land them, locate them for strikes. Yeah, I I give the most credit just reps. I've pitched a lot in my life. I threw a ton of innings in high school, even though, like you, like we said um, before this, I wasn't throwing very hard, but it's still reps pitching 60 feet away, um, and it kind of turns into muscle memory. And, and it's all confidence. I, I, it, I, my slider's probably taking the biggest step up from – my time here at Wake, and that's just it gets better the more more I throw it. Um, obviously, I give credit to I've had two pitching coaches here, and I give a lot of credit to them, um, bouncing ideas off them, changing different grips. Obviously, guys like Cusick um, and like teammates I have now, you know, just running ideas through them and, and just trying different things out, and not being afraid to just fail. So, well, that's amazing. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. This is super insightful stuff. Yep. Thank you, guys. The Perfect Game Select Festival every year, 11, 12, 13, 14. The best just about into recruiting age, then into recruiting age players in the country. Jeremy Brown puts together the Select Festivals as a scout. He stays in touch with these athletes. He's the king of commitments. They all go through him to make their college commitments. Jeremy Brown, Russo, open your scouting notebooks and just dole it out, baby. The Houston Super Regional NIT Tournament just wrapped up this past weekend out in Houston, Texas. We saw... 
some of the best talent in the country from the 13s and the 14s. And we went down to younger ages. But for my focus, my primary goal of going out there was to watch the 13s, watch the 14s, get a feel for these guys. And also know that come summertime, these guys are going to look entirely different. You know, we've already seen jumps. We're going to jump. We're going to get into some of the players who have already taken that next step in progress. While also knowing that come summertime, come the WWBAs, the World Series, some of these guys are going to be entirely different players. They're going to grow. They're going to just hone in their skills. They're going to learn their bodies. They're going to grow stronger. But before we really get into the players, let's run through some of the recap type stuff. Out in the 13U, the SBA Bolts, one of the more loaded teams in the field. We had a couple of those kind of, you know, super teams like you see in the NBA, seeing in baseball now too where every player was a known name on the national circuit. They took home the title, beating Motor City Hit Dogs. Uh, the MVP pitcher, Octavio Reyna, he came from the SBA Bolts, delivered a big one-hit shutout against the Broncos Elite in the quarterfinals, where Motor City actually had the MVP of the tournament, Carter Cobb. He hit 800, which is just a ridiculous feat in and of itself. Three triples, 12 hits total, 11 RBIs, with an absurd... 2.189 OPS, which is, I mean, that's even beyond video game numbers when you really look at it and break it down. On the 14 new flip side of things, you had some of those power teams at USA Prime, BPA, MVP Hustle, LBC National, all teams with multiple top 100 prospects. Yet it was ET Elite 14 new McGuire who hosted the trophy at the end of the tournament. They had the MVP, Damian Cordero, with nine hits, 10 RBIs, and two doubles. And they beat Cangelosi Sparks Campbell, who, quite frankly, came on hot. They caught they caught fire come the playoff time, kept rolling. They merged with the Motor City Hit Dog program for this tournament, had a couple of their players come over, including MV pitcher Carson Lytle, who really he shut down one of the more potent offenses in the Puerto Rico future prospects as he threw uh, six innings under the lights, eight Ks, three hits, only one earned run while running his fastball up to 88 miles per hour. So that's kind of the uh, homework type stuff, breaking down the teams, who won it, who won some hardware. So now you break down some of these prospects on the 13 new level, and you have to remember, not even a year ago, these guys were playing on the smaller diamond, the little league size diamond that we use at 12U. And despite that, you're seeing some pretty eye-opening performances. I got to start with Brody Constantine from Florida. Um, he was up to 86 miles per hour on the mound, and as if having the best fastball in the tournament wasn't enough for him, he also hit three home runs for the uh, Padres scout team. He was an 11U Festival alum two years back. He is a name you're going to want to know. Long, athletic, six foot two already, so obvious juice in the arm and the bat. And in total, we had three other arms, Ethan Torres, Jael Santos, Valentin Ceballos, all up to 84 miles per hour, while Luke Esquivel and Chase Cotton were also up to 83 miles per hour. So like we said at the opening, you know, this velocity group stands out now. And come summertime, don't be surprised if they're adding another tick or two. And if players who might have only been mid-upper 70s are creeping into that low 80s, even mid-80s, because a lot from now over the next six months with these players still developing physically, honing their skills, a lot's going to change. With Constantine's three home runs, six players in total actually hit three home runs in the tournament, um, some of the in-the-park variety, some over the fence. And then you have Carter Cobb and Jacob Gray, who both had 10 stolen bags on the day. We don't do national rankings for the 2028 class, which in turn is the 13U for the most part. But some of the bigger names that we've come to know, like the Luke Esquivel and the Constantine, they went out and they did their thing. Ethan Torres, we saw him at All-State Games, where he was a loose arm, really fast, long body type touching 80 for the California team he comes out was up to 84 so we're starting to see some of those jumps and I think as we continue to unfold you're going to see a lot more names that you're going to want to write down for future uh, future events future rankings updates on the 14 new side of things you have to start with Caius Howard from TB Vipers National I haven't seen him personally play prior to but I have to imagine this was one of his best tournament tournament performances he ever had Four home runs, 19 RBIs, 13 hits. You can't help but really chuckle reading through his numbers. He also shut down a potent MVP offense, uh, MVP hustle offense in the playoffs. So two-way talent there for Caius Howard. He's a name that I personally want to see more of as we get into the summer season. Um, one of those big bats off of the Puerto Rico future prospects team was Pablo Jose Martinez, you know, 
He was a standout two weeks ago at our showcase down in the Dominican. Um, the power, the hit tool, defense, everything stood out. And then he comes out and it was power to all fields. Two home runs over the fence, or one over the fence, one in the park, triple the other way. And Enrique Max Lopez also connected for two home runs. So you have some really big offensive performances there with those guys. Then you have some of the usual sp suspects like Bear Calvo, Caden uh, Dawson. They both swung it at a high, high level. And you also have some names who were ranked on the back end or might be making their first kind of couple PG appearances and kind of put their names on the national radar. Steven Bobo from USA Prime, he really didn't seem like he could get out throughout the event. Uh, line drive contact, really strong physical build already. And he was able to make an impression with our scouts with just how consistent he was regardless of the pitching he was facing. On the mound, you gotta you gotta lead off with Landon Green at the 14U level, simply because 92 in March at the 14U level, those words don't usually go together. And yet Landon came out, sat in the upper 80s, bumped 92, and really showed a more refined uh, delivery on the mound, made a couple adjustments, led to more strikes for him. And as he continues to make those strides, you're going to see one of the more dominant arms, I think, this summer at the 14U level. We talked about jumps. Luke Armijo, he definitely made the biggest jump. Talked to him pregame. He's like, ah, I'm going to try to hit 87. He threw one inning to start one of the pool play games so he could roll back. And every fastball out of his hand was 86 or 87 miles per hour. Bumped 88 a couple of times. The body's already starting to lengthen out. He's leaned up and... The arm speed, the arm, just the tailing life on the fastball, that combo this early in the season wasn't fair for the opposing batters. Carson Lytle, we talked about him. He was a former 12U Select Festival. Back on the scene now after last year having abbreviated showing. Um, fastball up to 88, big 12-6 curveball. Really, though, it was a slider that proved to be the difference maker. Fastball up to 88. And then Colton Gallardo, another one who we saw at the 12U level with the Select Festival. Um, his stuff is starting to creep up as well. 87 miles per hour out of the bullpen for the Texas Bombers. We saw him throw twice this past weekend. And truly, it's you're not even talking about some of the top, top players because they weren't in attendance, but these guys took over. They're making the names for themselves in terms of ranking updates. And that's what you want to see with these guys this early in the season. Um, a lot of these guys, they're making their claim. They're pitching their name out there saying, look at me, I need to be seen. And in turn, we handed out a lot of 13 and 14 new national invites from the showing in Houston. Charles McAdoo, I've been excited for you to join us. I've been excited as a Californian to get to know a young man who's done so much and done it at San Jose State. Also an incredible football player. I want to get into that. But I love the Mountain West Conference. They push all the other conferences. I get to call a ton of Mountain West basketball. I'm excited, Charles McAdoo, to share your story and to, and to get to, to know a lot more about you. Thanks for spending time with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys for reaching out. Appreciate it. So, Charles, I want to dive in on the transition between the 21 season and the 22 season. You played in the Expedition League. You got regular playing time, but the numbers are dramatic. Who you were as a player in 21 in comparison to the All-American caliber year you had in 22. What changed for you, whether it be physically, whether it be your mind, whether it be your swing? Talk about the transition, 21 to 22. Um, in 21, you know, as a, as a freshman, it's a, as, as an early developing freshman, it's a lot, it's a lot harder to, to, to get on the field if, you know, you're not, like, adept to the game and, you know, you haven't had a college at bat and you don't understand how uh, the college game works. And um, I, didn't, I didn't really know that, even though I do have a brother that, uh, that played baseball also in, at the collegiate level at Santa Barbara. I didn't. Uh, I didn't ask him enough questions to uh, understand how how the game worked. And uh, uh, going into that uh, that first season, I was I was I was I was like super excited to to see what I could do. And you know, I didn't I didn't get as much playing time as I wanted, but that was okay. I I understand that. I understand that now. Like that was probably a good thing. Just getting thrown in the fire like that, not being ready to play. I feel like I feel like that would have hindered me more than than, than helped me. And then. Going off to Expedition League in the summer, uh, getting around like 250 at bats and understanding the game a little bit better, how to play and and really playing position I never played before in my life. Like I started playing the outfield. I came in. I came in. Uh, I came into San Jose as a as a third baseman, and uh, I, yeah, I, ne I never really 
never really got to play any other position at third base and shortstop and maybe a little bit of second base when I was younger. So going to the Expedition League and get out there and figure out how to play all these other positions really, really helped my growth and understand how people were going to pitch me, how they're going to throw to me and stuff. I, I think really uh, set the baseline for coming in in the 22, I'm sorry, the 21 fall. So what did you tap into in your swing when you played in the Expedition League? When you get a daily minor league type lifestyle, when you're hitting four times a night every single day, mechanically, if you don't mind, what did you tap into in your swing? What changed for you specifically? I lem- <laughs> I knew this a little bit, but I didn't like. I didn't really understand. I realized I was a little bit stronger than I thought I was. I also realized that I didn't need to use all of it when I was swinging. Like yeah, like I don't. I don't know how to explain this. I didn't. I didn't need to swing as hard as I could to hit the ball far. I just, I just needed to. You know, get to a to them to an optimal uh, hitting position with good posture, and I realized that that's all I really needed to do to to hit the ball hard uh, anywhere on the field. What's a revelation like that look like? Feel like was there a moment you remember thinking, "Oh, wait, I kind of figured this out a little bit." Well, that summer I I, uh, I was I was still a bit of an amateur hitter, but I still I I, I realized that a little bit when I. Uh, was hitting hitting balls in the gaps and stuff when I was on my front foot with one hand, and yeah, and I started I started to realize I was like, oh, I'm a little bit stronger than I thought. <laughs> I love that answer. That's a really good answer. I'd like to go back. Your brother Michael, yeah, from who played at Santa Barbara. You you mentioned him. So what do you think now? You you gained from him? Is if you didn't ask him then, what what are the conversations like now? And how does he help you now? Uh, the conversation, the conversations now is more like, like he told me this already. What, like, like I should have listened or something like that. Like he's like, you're not gonna, you're not, you're not always gonna get the the pitch you want to hit like early on, and and you're gonna get like certain pitches and certain counts. And he like made it. There was a, there was a time before I went back to school. I it was the it was in 2022 on winter break, and he was still home. He, he went over, he, he made a list, he, he made a list, and he's like, what do you think you're going to get in these counts? What pitches do you think you're going to get in these counts from a right-handed hitter, a right-handed pitcher or a left-handed pitcher? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good question. So, yeah, though, it, it, was, it was more like, it was more like, I told you this, and, uh, and now it's more like, it's more like, um, <laughs> it's more like, hit it, be on time for the fastball. Hit the hit the ball straight, far and hard. I'm guessing too. Your conversations have changed us a little bit. When you go from a college baseball player to being a second lieutenant in the United States Marine Corps, I'm guessing your conversations now maybe take on a different tone. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. He's a yeah. He's a he, he he. I don't think he talks to too many people that are outside of the military. So. So when he talks to me, it's just like a breath of fresh air, and it's like he has to get like get used to talking to somebody that's not in the military. It's a, it's a, it's actually it's actually a good time. It's kind of funny. Yeah, I would imagine, and it's a bold choice he made. And when you get a chance, thank him on behalf of us for his service. So when I when I did a deep dive on you in the San Jose baseball website, I noticed that you were all Mountain West twice. Though you were academic all Mountain West, so. It leads me to kind of wonder, if I took baseball away, what are you passionate learning about? When you get in the classroom, what are the things that mean the most to you? Oh, uh, well, I'm, a, I'm a communications major, and um, and I, I think that works out well for me because I'm like, I'm a pretty solid communicator, I feel like. So being able to take classes that that uh, help me enhance my ability to communicate really, I feel like is, is really helpful because it's a major that I, I like and I can do. And uh, just the subcategories for classes like communication through pop culture. I'm uh, I'm in that class right now. It's like something that I that I really like because you know I'm I'm kind of I'm young and I like I like I like social media. I'm I'm all over social media and uh, I feel like that's just a class that I enjoy. So Charles, can you help me? At 53, I have no idea what I'm doing on social media. I'm supposed to be this present guy who's communicating with the best young athletes, baseball and softball in the world. Uh, I can pay you. NIL allows it now. Charles, can you help me? I was going to ask that too. Yeah, I can help you. I can definitely help you. 
Yeah, I definitely Yeah, I definitely need help. I need help, Charles. Danny can attest to that. <laughs> I was going to ask if you could give him any tips, honestly. So, we're on the same page here. <laughs> you are you are very good at communicating. Actually, it, I mean, we're on we're on a program online that's going over the internet, so there's like pauses, but it looks like you, you're you thinking about what you're saying and, and you're being intentional about your words, which is, is I mean, that I'm picking up on that. So I, I think that's awesome that you're getting that from your classes. As it translates to the field and this the college game that you're playing, how do you use that to your advantage? Are, are there ways that you find? Yeah, um... There was actually a class I took my freshman year called Interpersonal Communication, and I think that really helped me. Uh, it's helping me now more because it was like it was like more for talking to younger people. And so what I use there is like I, I try to be a leader. It's like do it. It's because it's, it, I'm a good communicator, but it's, it's a little bit hard for me to like to say the right thing. So I feel like I try to say do as I do, not as I say, because I can't really find the, the right things to say all the time. So... With the younger guys, I just okay. I just try to help them along, you know, and let, let them know, like, you know, you may not be where you want to be, but you can still get there. Like, just, you know, just be a good teammate and, you know, everything will, will work out for you. I would wonder, too, if so your classes help you, but, you know, your, your family and their athletic history and, and how close you are with your family is that something that you also maybe picked up on maybe subconsciously from those those in your family who have found success at the pro level? Uh, yeah, I think so. I th yeah, I think so. Even though that no, I don't think anybody in, anybody in my immediate family or that I'm close with has played baseball or understood it, they, they did a very good job helping me along, you know, getting, getting me the help I needed. So I, I, that's very good. Yeah, I would imagine a huge resource. The McAdoo name, for me, this is where being old gives me an advantage. Bob McAdoo, one of my favorite players as a Lakers fan, 80 Showtime Lakers fan. He worked with Kareem and played center. And, uh, of course, James Michael McAdoo. They've got, what, four rings between them. James Michael McAdoo, two of your cousins when we speak of that. Talking about other sports, football. You played it, and you played it really, really well at a storied program like De La Salle. Your senior year, you didn't stop where many do and specialize on baseball. You guys were an incredible, like, 12-2, and two, one of the top teams in the country. Um, so, so for me, I'm curious, football, impact you? Do you still look back on it? Did you covet the time that you played? And has the experience as a football player made you a better baseball player? I I think it's one of the, the – like, it's a it's – a, it's like a once-in-a-lifetime experience playing playing football, especially with, at the program I played at. It was very uh, storied storied football program, and uh, I think that that's also what made it a lot a lot more fun for me. I think it helped me it helped me in a lot of ways. Just like they weren't just big on football; they're big on discipline and and like your life skills too. Like you can't really be a, a, like it, they didn't want you to just take lessons from football out of playing playing there they wanted to take you take life lessons and and um you know also with that that we uh there was like bonds in there that that you can't really break and I go to I, I still I San Jose I come to there's still people that I play football with that came here that I that I'm that I'm fairly close with and there's a few friends for, uh, that are all over the country that I that I'm still talk to and I'm friends with from from football so I believe that that was like an experience for me it was a, one of the the better ones yeah, you guys were so good. What an incredible storied program. You played St. Thomas Aquinas your senior year. You guys ended up playing St. John Bosco, I believe, for the state title. So many legends coming out of De La Salle as I drift into another lane. Let's get back in this lane, though. Can you visualize, can you think about, can you conceptualize is probably the best word, what it may look like this summer? and the opportunities that you've created for yourself. Now, you've busted your tail. There's no doubt you've busted your tail, but you've come so far from where you were in high school to where you are now at a mid-major school. Can you pause and conceptualize all of it and let it sink in just a little bit? Um, it means a lot, actually. It means a lot that, um, that I'm able to be in this position. It's a blessing. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's a blessing, and um, I could thank uh, thank God, thank my family, because 
uh, one of my football coaches says, like, the reason why you're here because somebody gave a crap about you. Like, like play, play for that, play for that last name, play for your last name. You know, put to like play, play well, play hard. Make sure there's no doubts on it. Um, it's a blessing to to be in this position. Um, it's refreshing just to put a cap on that. Danny and I talk with a lot of these athletes that have accomplished what you're accomplishing, and they will kind of steer clear of discussing it. Maybe saying that, okay, I'm just worried about my team or the next game. I understand that. But I don't necessarily believe that because when you've worked as hard as you have and accomplished what you have and have had some good luck along the way, maybe faith plays a role too. To arrive here and not acknowledge it and not think about it, it's not inauthentic, but I kind of think you're squashing that emotion a little bit too much. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Let's dive in real quick to, to Michael and Wanda because we've we've talked a lot about the family. But what what attributes do you think you take from each? And I also was told that that Grandma is a big part coming to watch your games as well. So so introduce us to her. But what kind of attributes do you get from your parents? From my mom, um, dedicated, relentless. She uh she uh she ran she ran track at a she ran track at Cal. And uh, she moved. She moved to California when she was around, I believe it was a junior in high school. She was she was from New York, and she moved out here. Had to live on her own, and she uh, she got a scholarship to run track at Cal. And and I, I don't like I don't like to say this, but she was she was pretty fast. But I don't think she's 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 faster than me, even though she did run track. But yeah, she was she was really fast. And uh, from what I was told. She ran against an Olympian and lost by a little bit. I'm not, I don't remember the name of the Olympian that she ran against, but yeah, she ran against an Olympian and she barely lost. And there are stories that she, she broke her foot and somehow she kept running. I don't, I don't know how she did that, but yeah, she just, she just kept, she just kept going. And my dad, oh my God, he is a, he is one of the hardest working people that I know. He, um, Played football, basketball, and in high school, came, went to college to play basketball. He, uh, he, uh, when I was younger, he would he had three three jobs, I believe. He'd work two jobs on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and he'd work at FedEx on the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, and he'd get back at like three a.m. So yeah, those yeah, those are the hardest working people I know. Sorry, I'm trying not to tear up over here. And and Grandma, can you tell me a little bit about Grandma who's coming to your games? Oh, Granny? Granny's a... I think Granny's a good luck charm because she's a... Every time she's at the game, she's a... I look at her and I wave at her and she, she always, she's always smiling at me. Oh. Yeah, Granny, Granny's just... She's been through everything. I know she's a little, she's a little bit older, but I, I swear she's been through everything. And uh, she has a lot of she has a lot of good life experience, and you know, tell her she because she would uh my mom and dad they would work all day, and I'd just be with her in the summer, and she'd uh you know every time I get bored or stop watching TV, she she just tell me a story about like a time in her life, and I'd be like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like how you do that? Oh my gosh! Thank you for sharing that. Perfect Game College Baseball drops every Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern on Perfect Game TV. Now, we understand it's not live TV, so you can watch it in the archives after that. Hunter Pence is my co-host. He lives and breathes college baseball. For someone who's kind of maybe moving back to the big leagues as a broadcaster and also as a coach, we see that transition happening with Pence. And he's crazy on social media. He loves college baseball. So he and Scott Berry started chopping it up, the head coach of Southern Miss, Here's my one takeaway. You'll hear some baseball talk, some player talk in there. Scott Barry, the new college baseball rules. We've listened to a lot of coaches that don't like them. Scott makes it clear. Get in the box. Zip it. Here's Hunter and Scott. Yeah, Scott, it, it is a wild uh, system that that is the NCAA baseball. But I got to say, it is an honor and a privilege to get to talk to you and the amount of experience and, and what you've been able, able to accomplish in the baseball world at the college level. Um, Scott, you know, last year coming off 47 wins, uh, pitching, you guys are, are are known for pitching. And, man, I know it's it was Liberty. It's one series. It's early. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about this amazing uh, series your pitching staff had, how everyone looked? There's a lot of numbers, a lot of guys that looked really good, a lot of strikeouts. 
Uh, tell us a little bit about the staff this year and how they showed up for you this weekend. Well, very pleased with the the eight gentlemen that we put out there in the three games. We had tremendous starts from one from Tanner Hall, who was a uh, All American last year, pitched for Team USA, preseason All American again this year. Certainly went out and did what Tanner Hall does. He gave you five innings uh, in his first start of the year and and was really really good with with that start. Matt Adams took game two for us, a young man that came on at the end of the year. Last year uh, was really pleasant to see that because n- moving forward, we knew we were going to have to uh, to put somebody in that spot in the weekend this year, and, and Matt grabbed that and caught our attention last year and really played and pitched well on Saturday. And then another guy, Nico Mazza, was our third starter on Sunday. He covered five and a third innings. A guy that really got log jammed between a really, really deep staff last year as a true freshman, only appeared in five and a third innings last year, but really groomed him for a starter this past fall. And uh, I thought he performed very, very well. Bullpen pitched well, only gave up one extra base hit in the three games. That was in the ninth inning of game three on Sunday. Uh, We gave up a home run, but outside that, we never gave up an extra base hit and uh, performed really well. Yeah, you could you could say that again. And I wanted to dive just a little bit deeper. Um, you know, I, I don't know how to pronounce this name correctly, but just going through the stat lines, uh, Cross Sibley with yeah. eight strikeouts and four innings of relief appearance. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about his outing and, and you know, what you saw from him and, and where what was the strikeout pitch, what was working for him? Because eight strikeouts out of relief and four innings is pretty remarkable. Well, great story, Hunter. Uh, the young man was a redshirt freshman this year. Um, you know, really last year, uh, you know, made the decision just because, one, we had a really deep staff, but, two, he just wasn't ready to go. And then, honestly, this fall, he didn't really show that he was going to be ready as well, but came back from Christmas and performed. His bullpen started out just really good. Our pitching coach, who's outstanding, Christian Ostrander, he's also my associate head coach, Kept telling me after bullpens, hey, man, I think Sibley's going to help us. Coach, it's really good stuff. And so then we started using him, in, obviously, in preseason scrimmages. He performed really well. Uh, he's a young man, a three-pitch guy that has tremendous arm side run with his fastball from the left side, uh, a really deceptive breaking ball. And I guess, you know, the biggest thing that, that we've seen out of Cross is that his stuff has been there, but the ability to control and attack attack the zone, that's what's been showing up. And certainly it did that on Saturday with his first uh, career win and in his debut as a Division One pitcher. I, I really feel like for me to, to, to get deep on this, I mean deep, this is the best hair podcast we have ever had. Charles McAdoo's hair is unmatched. I mean, he, and I'm sure he, he, he's complimented when I say that. Rhett Lauder's hair is crazy long, and it's uh, unique, to say the least, for someone who's working out on the, on the, on the back 40, working on the land. you got to pull it up in a ponytail. There's a lot going on with the hair. I love the hair in this podcast. That's my first takeaway, because this is a visual medium as well. Um, I love the hair on this podcast. Oh, that's I got it? a name for you, as a matter of fact. I got a name for you. <laughs> Because okay. you come up with such creative names, right? <laughs> when, you, when you edit this, yeah. here's what it needs to say. Because of the draft coming up, okay? okay. Amateur hour. Hair today, gone tomorrow. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, he's a dad. Because they're hair today, here, right here, hair. But then gone they're gone tomorrow. to pro ball tomorrow, right? I'll put that in my back pocket. Yeah, That's that not All bad. All right, well, that'll do it. Good night, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Their hair, hair today gone tomorrow. I mean, you know, uh, I'll put it into consideration. I'll put it on the spreadsheet. I know the guys will appreciate it. Maybe they'll get some hair deals out of this. Who knows? Some sponsorships? I don't know. No? Are we All supposed right. to be serious because both the interviews were serious and amazing and touching? Yeah. And they were. Yeah. And, but life's too short to miss out on good hair. That's they have great hair. They have really good hair. Yeah. Great personalities. And actually, Amazing. this wasn't on the podcast, but Rhett did mention there's there's a little hair care involved with what he does. That was that was pre-conversation. But I, I thought they were great. These guys are awesome. You know what I love, actually, is that they are going to get drafted, and they're going to join a team 
and their teammates are just gonna love them. They're just so likable, and they're so, like, they're, they're, like, I feel like they're really good teammates. So they have great hair, great teammates, and they're on a great podcast. We went off the rails here, so. We want to let everyone know to, uh, to subscribe. You go ahead and <laughs> click that subscribe button. Please. Smash that like button. Wow. And, and, and do that. I'm stealing this from one of my favorite Lent podcasts where the, the youngsters, the kids of the presenter, say that at the end, click that subscribe button, smash that like button. They do it way better than I do. I'll send it over, edit it in, Why because are you... it's way better than mine. Why do we have a That's thumbs up? That's what they up? do. It's very cool how they do it. It's so like they smash it. They smash it. We smashed this podcast. It's a great podcast, by the way. It's a daily podcast, The Catholic in Me. I love listening to it. But one of the best parts is the end when his kids remind you, hey, subscribe. He's way, look, he's way more in touch than I am. You know, he's way more, he's way better at getting subscribers. There are like millions of subscribers for him. So I just thought maybe I'd say smash that like button. Yeah, that's gonna get us, that's definitely gonna help our numbers grow. Our numbers will grow and we're, we're grateful. Darren will give away something if you subscribe and follow him on Twitter. Stay tuned. I don't need to follow her on Twitter. I like my tiny community. I'm, I'm an introvert on Twitter, for sure. Don't, don't feel the need to follow me on Twitter unless you really want amateur At baseball, life is amateur great. softball. That's it. Amateur baseball, amateur softball content. There are no opinions. I'm smarter than that at all about anything. There are no stories about my flights being delayed at all. I'm not adding airlines. I'm not adding rental car companies. That's not, to me, what Twitter is for. Others feel that way. You'll be bored by me unless you're into amateur baseball and amateur softball. That's all you'll get. All right, so he'll I'm give adding, something away. I'm not, adding re- I'm not adding restaurants because they add 20% to my bill because I had a party of six. I'm not doing that. Bye, everybody.